Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is a special edition of Primetime Politics, the election edition. The Governor General today approved the Prime Minister's request to dissolve the 43rd Parliament and hold a federal election on Monday, September 20th. It will be a 36-day campaign, the shortest allowed by law. Coming up, political commentators will be here on the campaign launch and the issues to watch for, and we'll look at the public opinion landscape as the election gets underway. But first, the leaders and the campaign launch. Justin Trudeau arrived at Rideau Hall this morning, family in tow. He emerged from a one-hour meeting with the new Governor-General, Mary Simon, to explain why he believes an election is necessary now during the fourth wave of the pandemic. I think it's right for Canadians to be able to pronounce themselves on where we're going, on how we get through this, on what the next steps are for fighting the pandemic as we face a fourth wave, but also what the next steps are for rebuilding our communities, our society, our country, so that it is better and more resilient for years to come. And Trudeau tried to turn aside opposition criticism about the election timing. As Canadians know, this is a moment where we're going to be taking decisions that will last not just for the coming months, but for the coming decades and Canadians deserve their say. That's exactly what we're going to give them. Justin Trudeau has been accused of calling the election purely in hopes of winning a majority. Three times today, he refused to say if he'll resign if a pandemic election costing $500 million or more delivers the status quo, another Liberal minority government. The Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, kicked off the campaign from a television studio the party has built in an Ottawa hotel. He once again criticized the Prime Minister's motives for launching the election now. A leader who cared about the best interests of Canadians would be straining every sinew to secure the recovery right now. Instead, Justin Trudeau has called an election. That's Justin Trudeau's choice. And I hope that his decision doesn't cost Canadians too dearly. O'Toole is promising an economic recovery plan focused on jobs and economic growth and balancing the budget over the next decade. I'm going to be presenting Canada's recovery plan. I have a track record of bringing people together from my time in the military, my time in the private sector as a volunteer. I'm in this for my children and your children. And so Canadians have a right to see the options. But Aaron O'Toole refused to endorse the Liberal plan to require mandatory vaccination for all federal workers and federal industries, or mandatory vaccinations for Conservative candidates. (laughs) NDP leader Jagmeet Singh kicked off his campaign in Montreal, saying voters should not reward the Liberals with a majority after a pandemic election. Why have this election right now if he wants to do the work that he claims he wants to do? We have shown again and again, if it's help for Canadians, we are there. 
and we've delivered that help. We have fought to get more help. But if it's to hurt Canadians, we've seen Justin Trudeau team up there in O'Toole to force the port workers here in Montreal back to work, to vote against Pharmacare, to vote against taxing the ultra-rich. So we've seen that Justin Trudeau can make this problem and work if it's to hurt people and we've been able to force him to help people. Why is he having this election when none of those things require an election? The Bloc Québécois leader suggested the voters will not give Justin Trudeau the majority he wants because Parliament has been working. There are always important questions to be solved. He has an ad up to this morning, a Parliament duly elected with a wide representation of different visions for both Canada and Quebec. And he had to negotiate and discuss and reach agreements with one party or another each time. This is what has been good for both Canadians and Quebecers. And I believe that there's a serious possibility that Canadians and Quebecers will make a choice that will not give him a majority. An embattled Green Party leader, Annemi Paul, launched her campaign in Toronto, where she's also campaigning for a seat in Parliament. She spoke about the challenges to her leadership and the party's internal turmoil. Um, we, like all the parties, have a process after elections for evaluating leadership. Um, I will go through that, uh, but for the moment, uh, we only have 36 days in an election we should never have had. Um, my focus is 100% on this moment in time and what we can accomplish together uh, in this moment in time. And that's the kind of day it's been, day one of the election campaign. I'm joined now by our panel of party commentators. Susan Smith is a Liberal commentator, Ashton Arsenault is a Conservative commentator, and Kim Wright is an NDP commentator. Uh, Well, Susan, the campaign's underway now. We've heard from the leaders. Has the Prime Minister presented a compelling argument for why we are in a federal election now? He's said to Canadians, now is the time for them to choose the future for coming out of the COVID recovery. There are big decisions that need to be made from a government perspective, big investments that need to be made, and he wants Canadians to have a choice about the direction that we go, because the impact of these choices uh, impact our kids and our grandkids. You know, contrast that with Aaron O'Toole, who said he's going to balance the budget in 10 years. I didn't hear him say what he was going to cut in terms of that. This country has gone through and uh, and the world has gone through a very difficult time from the pandemic. We're coming out of it. We're leading in vaccination. And the prime minister is saying when it comes to climate change, when it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to health care, when it comes to um, investing in green infrastructure, he's got the plan that Canadians can choose, and he's inviting them to contrast it with their others. All right, Ashton, the Prime Minister says it is time for Canadians to have a say in what happens to rebuild this country after the pandemic. Uh, What's your response to that? Uh, Look, I'm I'm still seeing it for what I think most Canadians see it for, and that's a power grab. Uh, I think the Prime Minister dodged uh, the question on why a election is required right now during the middle of a pandemic, particularly as we're walking into the fourth wave of said pandemic on every single occasion that he could eschew that question. So I don't think he really uh, had a refined sales pitch for Canadians today as to why an election is required. And again, I feel like most Canadians are not on side with the fact that we're going into an election today. As in, do they want it? I don't think they do. At the same time, I think, you know, the Prime Minister uh, got most of his talking points out. Uh, I think they were a little light on details. And in fairness to the Prime Minister, I think 
uh, the NDP is the only party out right now with a uh, platform. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to change very quickly in the coming days. I think you can expect a robust plan uh, from the Conservative Party of Canada, you know, if not tomorrow, very shortly thereafter. It's only 36 days to work with, and there's so much work to do, and there's a lot of explaining to Canadians what the vision is going to be and why your party should best represent the interests of Canadians going forward. So that's what I'm looking forward to. One, we're a little light on details, and I'm looking forward to a little bit more. Uh, Kim, uh, let me turn to you. Did the Prime Minister make the case for an election now? Absolutely not. There is nothing that I had heard from him that couldn't have been done in, within Parliament, uh, certainly working with the opposition parties, Jagmeet Singh, certainly uh, as he was unveiling his platform the other day, but also as we just heard mm -hmm. his remarks. Uh, he is ready to work on the things that matter to Canadians, clean drinking water, access to vaccinations, uh, meaningful work on truth and reconciliation. All of these things were possible. The Prime Minister wants this majority government this is nothing more than an ego trip uh, filtering out through a divine right to govern. That's all this is. And I think Canadians will see through that. They're tired of promises and memes and all of the stuff. Let's actually get a get through this, get to governing, get to governing in the interest of Canadians. And I'll also say, you know, Jagmeet Singh, is, his, his release today, his, his launch today, really did show the most humanity of any of the leaders. It showed a bit of personality, certainly an understanding of how these things are not just lofty public policy goals, but how they impact people's lives. And also holding to account things like the conversion therapy bill. You know, the Liberals try to blame that on Aaron O'Toole and Goodness knows Aaron O'Toole's people have a lot to account for as to why they voted a, voted against it. But if these things didn't get done. They could have got done. The blood ban, the conversion therapy bill, all of these things that actually would have impacted Canadians' lives. And we haven't seen it, and I still don't see a narrative out of the Prime Minister as to what he's going to do differently. All right, let's talk about what the opposition leaders had to say, Susan, today. Uh, Aaron O'Toole talked about his plan for the economy, but uh, he also faced lots of, lots of questions and would not commit to mandatory vaccinations for federal workers and federally regulated industries, and, and wouldn't commit that all his Conservative candidates will be vaccinated. How much of a problem do you think that is or will become or could become for Aaron O'Toole as the campaign kicks off? I think that's going to be a tremendous uh, problem for Aaron O'Toole, and I'm surprised that he's walking right into it. It's easily rectifiable. He could have knocked it out of the park and said, I think all of my candidates should be vaccinated. And I think anybody getting on a plane or a train in Canada and federally regulated industries, they should be vaccinated unless they have a medical exemption. He did not do that. So you don't know. Uh, under an Aaron O'Toole government, you don't know if the people beside you have had their vaccinations or not. You certainly, in the course of the campaign immediately, don't know whether or not your Conservative candidate has had a vaccination or not. That is going to be a huge problem for him. And I actually think it was a significant strategic error because it's common sense that you would get a vaccine. He himself and his wife have got a vaccine. Why not would he exert the kind of leadership he needs to on this party uh, to say to people, this is the right thing to do. You have to get them and I would mandate this okay. as prime minister. Why hasn't he done it? He's pandering to the right wing of the party and his conservative base. All right. Uh, Ashton, let me hear you on this. Uh, does, does Aaron O'Toole's, the position we heard today, which was to not endorse mandatory vaccinations and not say they'd be required for candidates, do you think that position helps or hurts him? Uh, I'd be remiss to not go back and say that this was the Liberal Party of Canada's position up until three days ago, conveniently on the eve of an election. Uh, so I'm going to 
assume that this was done to create a political wedge. So uh, the Liberal Party is attempting to divide Canadians on vaccines. Aaron O'Toole is not. He has said that every single Canadian should be vaccinated. If you can do so today, do not wait until tomorrow to do so. At the same time, it is a very different matter to force vaccinations and not consider the rights of Canadians on the other side of it. And also, nobody's talked about the legality of this and how it would actually be enforced at the federal level, nor has anybody raised the issue of what provincial leaders are going to do, because as we all know, transportation is not exclusively a federal matter. So there's lots of questions. Planes and trains I are, though. Correct. I guess it does raise the prospect Susan, of having do you exclusively travel on planes or trains. I don't. No, I don't. But okay. for people who choose to, they should know they should they should know and feel confident that people have had the vac a vaccination that is available to prevent spread of COVID. Like came, came all of this came all of this is in the context of, of uh, all of this is in the context of a, a campaign that's taking place while we have a fourth wave of a pandemic. So um, should we expect to keep hearing questions uh, about vaccinations and where the party leaders on uh, stand on things like mandatory vaccinations? What role do you think that's going to play, at least in the early days of the campaign? Absolutely, and you will. And you've already heard uh, from from Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats that they've required everyone on tour to be vaccinated. Everyone who's uh, all of their candidates, all of their MPs, have all been double vaccinated. So we're going to see that uh, that rolling through. Ultimately, though, I always love these jurisdictional squabblings that always take place when it's convenient to be. Oh, we can't do daycare because the provinces are part of this. Oh, we can't manage interprovincial trade barriers because it's a provincial problem. Oh, we can't give municipalities the right to govern themselves because, yeah, they're a jurisdiction of the province. At the end of the day, it's easy to finger point. Governing is much harder, and I want to actually see people get on with this as opposed to finger pointing. All right, uh, Susan, let's talk about the launch of uh, Jagmeet Singh's campaign today. Uh, he's been holding his own in the polls and his message today was, look, vote New Democrat because of the gains the NDP obtained during the pandemic and the promises the party's making to spend on social and health programs. So uh, what kind of a threat do you think that presents to liberals uh, in terms of courting the progressive vote uh, if the NDP, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on the polls, but if the NDP and Mr. Singh were to continue growing, uh, what kind of a challenge does that present? If you just want to listen to the surface messages delivered by Jagmeet Singh, it's all good. It's all sweetness and light in terms of what the NDP were doing. He's an, his French was amazing. He had a, he's very relaxed. He's very affable. There's no question about that. But in terms of the depth of the policy platforms, the, the realism around them, uh, he's missing the boat. I think it's not there and people need to dig and scratch the surface a little bit better. He's also misleading Canadians in areas like boil water advisories and other things where significant progress has been made. But yes, more work needs to be done. Big task for Jagmeet Singh. If he wants to be prime minister, he needs and the path to majority for him is 145 seats. He's got to grow from 24 plus 145 to get to the majority stage. If he wants to be prime minister, he's got one seat in Quebec and he doesn't look like he's not going to grow across the, the prairies. He's got a chance on some seats in B.C., Atlantic Canada. He's going to lose a seat in Atlantic okay. Canada that he holds. So I don't see the pathway there. He's got a message. He had a good start. But from the, a substance 
uh, perspective, he better hope people don't scratch the surface too hard. Let me hear you, uh, Ashton, on the NDP campaign before we get to Kim here. In, uh, in, in pure political terms, Conservatives want uh, the NDP to do uh, better. Uh, they don't want the NDP to be government, but they want them to do better and uh, pull some of that vote away from uh, from Liberals because that tightens up a lot of those races. So what do you think of uh, the NDP message today? Certainly some truth in that, Peter. I'll, I'll do the old two positives and a negative. Uh, nobody does empathy better on the federal scene right now than J Jagmeet Singh. Uh, and at the same time, he is very, very difficult to defeat uh, in the moment. Uh, if you catch him on any day, he's ready to go with a soundbite, and that is a true political gift. The negative is his plan deserves some heavy scrutiny because it is the plan of more. More taxes, more spending, more debt. That is the NDP plan, full stop. So when Aaron O'Toole says what you're getting with any other party is more of the same, he is correct. But I would argue in the case of the NDP, it's even worse. All right. And Kim, let me hear from you on this. And, and uh, what you heard from the NDP leader today, where, where do you think the focus of that campaign goes? Well, Jagmeet Singh has a spring in his step. He's got money in the bank. He's got extraordinary candidates coast to coast to coast. And he has a message that resonates. People have come out of this pandemic and are getting through this pandemic, recognizing there are some serious institutional flaws in this country, and they require leadership to move forward on it. Ultimately, governing is choosing. You choose where you want to put your resources, where your time, where your energies and your efforts. And you can say, we're going to cut and we're going to hack and we're going to do all these things. That's what Aaron Tool's message is going to be whenever he finally gets around to a platform because somehow it eluded him that election was going to start today. Uh, but governing is choosing. And if we want to make sure that we have a Canada that actually helps protect people here in Canada and around the world, that's the kind of thing that Jagmeet Singh has also shown on a practical level that he can move forward on. Right. I mean, we look at the wage subsidy, the pittance that they were the Liberal government was trying to give to businesses to keep employees was actually quite appalling and shocking, and they were getting no uptake until Jagmeet Singh and the New Democrats said, here, here's how we get businesses, small businesses, our community, uh, local mom and pop shops back to work. That's the kind of leadership I look for, and that's the kind of right. leadership I'm excited about. All right, day one of the campaign uh, is underway. Uh, Susan Smith. Kim Wright, Ashton Arsenault. Uh, thank you all for your time today, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Everyone take care. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Peter. Over the course of the campaign, uh, we'll be checking in with pollster David Coletto from Abacus Data to get a sense of where voter support is and how it might be changing during the campaign, what the key issues are for voters, and how the parties are promising to deal with those issues. Let's hear from him now. David, it's good to see you again and uh, looking forward to uh, getting your insights and analysis during the campaign. Thanks for being with us today. Let's start with your latest survey numbers. Who did you survey and how? What do we need to know about this survey? So good to see you, Peter. We did a large survey of uh, 3,000 Canadian adults. We did it from August uh, 2nd, sorry, August 6th to the 11th. And uh, so with a large sample like that, we could look at some, some really interesting regional and demographic differences. But this is our first kind of benchmark survey uh, before the campaign kicks off. All right, uh, let's talk about the leaders and what Canadians are feeling about them. Let's start with Justin Trudeau. As we enter the campaign, how is he being viewed by Canadians? Well, Mr. Trudeau's numbers have, have held pretty steady now for over a year, with about equal numbers viewing him positively uh, and negatively. We've got 41% who view him positively negatively. That number, again, hasn't changed within about two points for a very long time, right? Because people know this prime minister. Um, his, his numbers improved 
over the course of the pandemic, they've, they've stayed higher than they were headed into the last election. Um, but again, the prime minister, if at this point you, you don't have a view of him, um, you haven't been paying attention for the last six years. So Canadians know their prime minister really well, and, and he's a fairly polarizing figure. Signif- you know, significant numbers like him, significant numbers dislike him. And, and to watch who, uh, you know, who the campaigns target, I, I always find this you know, fascinating and very interesting, is, is where, you know, where, do it, it, where, where the support is, you know, where does it come from? It's important to know that, I think, in terms of the performance of a leader. So where's, where's Justin Trudeau finding his strongest support? Which groups? Well, we find that, that he's, you know, his, his numbers are fairly spread out across the country or, or across different age groups. But we do see that in Atlantic Canada, um, in Ontario, among those who self-identify as a racialized, a member of a racialized community, we see much higher positives for Mr. Trudeau as we do among women. So those would be natural places where the prime minister finds more goodwill than he does in other parts of the country or among other groups. But as I said, he's popular among his own party supporters, usually mm-hmm. the party leaders are. Um, and he also has an opportunity among those who right now don't support the Liberals but are open to doing it. So again, Mr. Trudeau finds himself in a stronger position going into this campaign than he did back in 2019. Let's talk about Aaron O'Toole. Uh, impressions of Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, what are you finding? Well, we find a, a challenging um, situation for the, for the Conservative leader. He has almost double the number of people who have a negative view of him at 41% and have a positive view. And that's been the case for Mr. O'Toole for quite some time. Now, on the positive side for him, if there is a positive to that, is there's still a large number of people who say, I don't really have a view of him or I have a neutral view. So he has an opportunity over the course of this campaign um, to introduce himself to many Canadians who don't know him very well. But his challenge is one in which um, he's got almost, he's got higher negatives than the prime minister, half as many positives as as the prime minister or even Mr. Singh, as we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, and so he's got a very short period of time in which he's got to at least convince um, some of those who have a negative view of him that he's not as bad as they think. And that's not always easy to do in a short campaign when, when you're going to be you know, uh, targeted by your opponents and others in this campaign and, and questions about whether you're, you're ready to be prime minister as an alternative to Mr. Trudeau. All right. You touched on Jugmeet Singh, the NDP leader. What do Canadians think of him as the campaign gets underway? Well, Mr. Singh, I think, is the real wild card, and that is because he would come into this campaign as the most popular leader in terms of his net favorables. Um, you know, 40 percent of a positive view of him, 24 negative. That's a plus 16. That's that's better than Mr. Trudeau. Um, and that's as good as Mr. Singh has had in a long time and better than when he entered the last campaign. So he's coming into this campaign more of a known quantity and somebody who finds a lot of support among um, young people, plus 37, among women, mm-hmm. and among particularly in his now home province where he represents the riding in British Columbia. So those are natural places for Mr. Singh. And uh, he's wildly popular among his own party and a lot of liberals like him. So, you know, this is a place that is, is, is going to be a really interesting um, period of time to watch how Mr. Singh performs and, and whether this goodwill translates into more support for the New Democrats. Right, because, because I mean, uh, watching the dynamics of a campaign, the more you know, the more popular Jugmeet Singh is, the the less um, the less happy I guess liberals are because you know that that might hold some of that progressive support that the liberals are hoping to draw away from the New Democrats. So lots of interesting things could happen here during the campaign, depending on how Mr. Singh performs and uh, how Canadians feel about him as we go along. So, okay, let's move now to the latest numbers on voter intentions. What are we seeing now? These are what we call the the horse race numbers. Where are we? 
Well, the horse race numbers show uh, a liberal advantage. They've got a nine-point lead over the Conservatives. Uh, nationally, we have 37 for the Liberals, uh, 28 for the Conservatives, and 20 for the New Democrats. The Bloc um, nationally is at 5%. They're at 22. We'll, we'll talk about the regional numbers in a minute in Quebec. And the Greens are at 5% nationally as well. And if we look at the trend line on this, the Liberals have been at 37 now for, for four straight waves of our research. The Conservatives had actually dipped quite a bit over the last few months. Uh, a little uptick for them over the past few weeks, and the NDP holding fairly steady around 20%. So the Liberals entered this campaign nine points ahead in our polling. Um, they entered the last federal election four points behind the Conservatives. So another indicator, you're the Prime Minister, today you're going to see the Governor General. Why did you do it? Well, this, this number is one of many that says you know, it's, it's a better time than probably they've ever had uh, to, to try to go after that majority government. All right. And v viewers want to know what's happening where they live. So how does that vote intention break down by province or, or region in Canada? So let's, let's start in the West. And in, in British Columbia, I think, is going to be a key battleground in this campaign. Uh, lots of three-way races in the Lower Mainland and even on Vancouver Island. And, and we, saw, we see the Liberals doing quite well. Um, they've got a seven-point lead over the New Democrats, 36% to 29 with the Conservatives not too far behind um, the, 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 the New Democrats, but at 26%, that is substantially lower than they had in the last election where, you know, recall the Conservatives actually won the popular vote in British Columbia. Go east to, to the prairies in Alberta, um, you know, at 46%, the Conservatives are still well ahead of the two other parties, but uh, they got 64%. Um, or we're close to it, if I recall, in the last federal election. So this has been uh, a big shift. Will it have a big impact on the number of seats they win? Probably not. But the People's Party of Canada is polling at 7%. The, the Maverick Party at 1% hasn't yet made a big dent. But the Conservatives are really competing against two other more conservative or, or um, you know, conservative parties that they didn't really have to deal with. Um, well, they did uh, with Mr. Bernier's party in 2019, but it, they seem to have a little more energy right now. Um, in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, similar story. The, the, the Conservatives are ahead, although the Liberals are doing, if you look at the Manitoba numbers in particular, quite well in Manitoba. Saskatchewan's uh, still a very strong place for the Conservatives. Um, in Ontario, mm -hmm. which has been the case for a while, we find the Liberals well ahead. They've got a 13-point lead over the Conservatives, 41% to 28, the NDP at 22 um, so that's a really strong position for, for vote-rich and seat-rich Ontario for the Liberals. In Quebec, some interesting potential dynamics appearing. Uh, we've got the Bloc at 22, um, uh, 15 points behind the Liberals. Now, that's a slight decline, Peter, for the Bloc over the last few weeks. We'll see whether that trend holds. Um, but I think Quebec's going to be critical for the Liberals um, if, they, if they're going to want to win that majority. And then lastly, Atlantic Canada has been a strong uh, region for the Liberals for the last two elections. Um, they, they, they swept in 2015. They almost swept again in 2019. And we see, you know, them with almost half the vote in that region with the Conservatives and the, the uh, Democrats vying for, for second place there. So, you know, overall, good regional numbers for the Liberals in the places they need to do well. Does it turn into a majority? You know, I think it's maybe 50-50 with these kind of numbers, right. but they're getting pretty close to that, that threshold. Okay, just a couple of things to cover. Let's finish on preferred outcomes. What did you find when you asked Canadians what election outcome they hoped to see? 
Well, we gave them only two real choices. Imagine you could have a liberal government or a conservative government in which version, a majority or minority. And we found that over six out of 10 people, when forced to choose, again, a lot of New Democrat supporters, Green supporters, Bloc supporters would rather not have, you know, uh, in an ideal case, a liberal government. But if they only had those two options, 64% would choose a liberal government, including 36 who want a liberal majority. Uh, 27 want a liberal minority. And on the other hand, 38% of Canadians want the Conservatives to win some form of government, with 26% wanting a majority and 12% wanting uh, a minority. And I think it's important just, just quickly to, to mention that, you know, among New Democrat supporters, if we're talking about one of the things the Liberals are going to try to do, as you mentioned, bring some of those New Democrats into the fold. New Democrats are much more likely to want a liberal government. Um, but when we ask people who they think they're going to, who's going to win the election, um, almost half now think the Liberals are going to win, and only one out of five think the Conservatives. So people believe the Liberals are going to win this election as it starts, and they prefer a Liberal government. So um, I think that's going to have an impact on the dynamics of this campaign. All right, finish on this. Uh, given these numbers, uh, what's the upshot, and, and what do you think we need to watch for as the campaign unfolds? I think quickly, you know, the Liberals have a clear advantage. You, you name the, the, the number I shared, and you can see they're in a better place today than they were in 2019. Um, there's a few... Wild cards, though. Mr. Singh's popularity is something to watch. Uh, people like him. Will they vote for him? Will they switch their votes? It's something we'll watch for. Mr. O'Toole starts in a weaker position than Mr. Shear did back in 2019, but there's a lot of people who don't know who he is. So can he um, introduce himself? Ultimately, there's a lot of, lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty. Does the fourth wave really materialize and have an impact on the conversation? We're not really clear what this ballot question is going to be. What's this election about? Mm -hmm. And so there's still, as we've seen in the number of campaigns we've done together, Peter, um, lots of lots of uncertainty and a lot and campaigns matter. So liberals start in the lead, but we've seen in the past that doesn't mean they're going to end there. So we'll we'll keep watching this together. All right. Thanks for walking us through the numbers and uh, providing that analysis, David Coletto. And uh, we will talk again uh, surely soon as the campaign unfolds. But uh, thanks for your time today, David. Take care. Thanks, Peter. Take care. And that's all for this special election edition of Primetime Politics on this Sunday night. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching.